three. It was the custom rigidly adhered to, Luke said, turning the brandy in his glass, for the public executioner, before quartering, to outline his knife strokes in chalk upon the belly of his victim, for fear of a slip, you understand. I would like to hit her with a stick, Eleanor thought, looking down on Theodora's head beside her chair. I would like to batter her with rocks. An exquisite refinement, exquisite, because, of course, the chalk strokes would have been almost unbearable, excruciating, if the victim were ticklish. I hate her, Eleanor thought. She sickens me. She's all washed and clean and wearing my red sweater. When the death was hanging in chain, however, the executioner, Nell? Theodora looked up at her and smiled. I really am sorry, you know, she said. I would like to watch her dying, Eleanor thought, and smiled back and said, don't be silly. Among the Sufis, there is a teaching that the universe has never been created and consequently cannot be destroyed. I have spent the afternoon, Luke announced gravely, browsing in our little library. The doctor sighed. No chess tonight, I think, he said to Luke, and Luke nodded. It has been an exhausting day, the doctor said, and I think you ladies should retire early. Not until I am well dulled with brandy, Theodora said firmly. Fear, said the doctor, is the relinquishment of logic, the willing relinquishing of reasonable patterns. We yield to it or we fight it, but we cannot meet it halfway. I was wondering earlier, Eleanor said, feeling she had somehow an apology to make to all of them. I thought I was altogether calm, and yet now I know I was terribly afraid. She frowned, puzzled, and they waited for her to go on. When I am afraid, I can perfectly see the sensible, beautiful, not afraid side of the world. I can see chairs and tables and windows staying the same, not affected in the least. And I can see things like the carefully woven texture of the carpet not even moving. But when I am afraid... I no longer exist in any relation to these things. I suppose because things are not afraid. I think we are only afraid of ourselves, the doctor said slowly. No, Luke said, of seeing ourselves clearly and without disguise. Of knowing what we really want, Theodora said. She pressed her cheek against Eleanor's hand, and Eleanor, hating the touch of her, took her hand away quickly. I'm always afraid of being alone. Eleanor said and wondered, Am I talking like this? Am I saying something I will regret bitterly tomorrow? Am I making more guilt for myself? Those letters spelt out my name, and none of you know what that feels like. It's so familiar. And she gestured to them almost in appeal. Try to see, she said. It's my own dear name, and it belongs to me. And something is using it and writing it and calling me with it and my own name. She stopped and said, looking from one of them to the other, even down onto Theodora's face, looking up at her. Look, there's only one of me, and it's all I've got. I hate seeing myself dissolve and slip and separate so that I'm living in one half my mind. And I see the other half of me helpless and frantic and driven, and I can't stop it. But I know I'm not really going to be hurt, and yet time is so long, and even a second goes on, and on, and I could stand any of it if I could only surrender. Surrender? said the doctor sharply, and Eleanor stared. Surrender? Luke repeated. I don't know, Eleanor said, perplexed. I was just talking along, she told herself. I was 
saying something. What was I saying? She's done this before, Luke said to the doctor. I know, said the doctor gravely, and Eleanor could feel them all looking at her. I'm sorry, she said. Did I make a fool of myself? It's probably because I'm afraid. Not at all, the doctor said, still grave. Drink your brandy. Brandy? And Eleanor looked down, realizing that she held a brandy glass. What did I say? she asked them. Theodora chuckled. Drink, she said. You need it, my Nell. Obediently, Eleanor sipped at her brandy, feeling clearly its sharp burn, and then said to the doctor, I must have said something silly from the way you're all staring at me. The doctor laughed. Stop trying to be the center of attention. Vanity, Luke said serenely. Have to be in the limelight, Theodora said, and they smiled fondly, all looking at Eleanor. 4. Sitting up in the two beds beside each other, Eleanor and Theodora reached out between and held hands tight. The room was brutally cold and thickly dark. From the room next door, the room which until that morning had been Theodora's, came the low, steady sound of a voice babbling, too low for words to be understood, too steady for disbelief. Holding hands so hard that each of them could feel the other's bones, Eleanor and Theodora listened, and the low, steady sound went on and on, the voice lifting sometimes for an emphasis on a mumbled word, falling sometimes to a breath, going on and on. Then, without warning, there was a little laugh, the small gurgling laugh that broke through the babbling and rose as it laughed on, up, and up the scale, and then broke off suddenly in a little painful gasp, and the voice went on. Theodora's grasp loosened and tightened, and Eleanor, lulled for a minute by the sounds, started and looked across to where Theodora ought to be in the darkness, and then thought screamingly, "'Why is it dark? Why is it dark?' She rolled and clutched Theodora's hand with both of hers, and tried to speak, and could not, and held on blindly and frozen, trying to stand her mind on its feet, trying to reason again. "'We left the light on,' she told herself." So why is it dark? Theodora, she tried to whisper, and her mouth could not move. Theodora, she tried to ask, why is it dark? And the voice went on, babbling low and steady, a little liquid gloating sound. She thought she might be able to distinguish words if she lay perfectly still. If she lay perfectly still and listened and listened and heard the voice going on and on, never ceasing and she hung desperately to Theodora's hand and felt an answering weight on her own hand. Then the little gurgling laugh came again, and the rising mad sound of it drowned out the voice, and then suddenly, absolute silence. Eleanor took a breath, wondering if she could speak now, and then she heard a little soft cry which broke her heart, a little infinitely sad cry a little sweet moan of wild sadness. It is a child, she thought with disbelief. A child is crying somewhere. And then, upon that thought, came the wild, shrieking voice she had never heard before and yet knew she had heard always in her nightmares. Go away, it screamed. Go away. Go away. Don't hurt me. And after sobbing, please don't hurt me. Please let me go home and then the little sad crying again. I can't stand it. 
Helenor thought concretely. This is monstrous. This is cruel. They have been hurting a child, and I won't let anyone hurt a child. And the babbling went on, low and steady, on and on and on, the voice rising a little and falling a little, going on and on. Now, Eleanor thought, perceiving that she was lying sideways on the bed in the black darkness, holding with both hands to Theodora's hand, holding so tight she could feel the fine bones of Theodora's fingers. Now, I will not endure this. They think to scare me? Well, they have. I am scared. But more than that, I am a person. I am human. I am a walking, reasoning, humorous human being, and I will take a lot from this lunatic, filthy house, but I will not go along with hurting a child. No, I will not. I will, by God, get my mouth to open right now, and I will yell, I will, I will yell, Stop it! she shouted. And the lights were on, the way they had left them, and Theodora was sitting up in bed, startled and disheveled. What? Theodora was saying, What? Nell? What? God, God, Eleanor said, flinging herself out of bed and across the room to stand shuddering in a corner. God, God, whose hand was I holding? 